Greetings, I'm Will Tompkins, and this is the Narrow Way Podcast. This series of episodes is our 17-week study of John Bunyan's timeless book, The Pilgrim's Progress, edited by C.J. Lovick. This edition is available on Amazon in both paper and on the Kindle e-reader. It is also available on the Crossway Books website. Links to both are available in the description text of the first episode of this series. In this episode, we'll be discussing chapter 8 of our source text, Confronting Worldly Attachments. In our last episode, chapter 7, On Trial for the Gospel, we left our pilgrims, Christian and hopeful, as they were entering into a brotherly covenant. And in this way, Christian is not left to walk alone in sorrow, but rather with a new brother in the Lord. And as Hopeful takes Faithful's place, he learns they must bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ, from Galatians 6.2. Recall that Hopeful tells Christian there are many more men in vanity that would take their time and follow after. Why is that? Because they had been inspired by the righteous actions of both Faithful and Christian. When you look into that mirror, loved ones, is there a reflection of inspirational righteousness? Don't be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Galatians 6, 7. And now an overview of today's text. So what happens here in chapter 8, confronting worldly attachments? Well, as they leave the town of Vanity, our two pilgrims, Christian and Hopeful, see someone emerging from the wilderness. From the wilderness? What does that tell us? That he did not enter through the small gate, nor did he travel along the narrow way. His name, which he is initially reluctant to give, is By Ends, from the wealthy and self-seeking town of Fair Speech. And he's a man who sees religion as a stepping stone to getting ahead in this world, not life unto the ages. Christian and hopeful turn away from him because he will not, amongst other things, affirm that poverty and obedience are aspects of an enduring faith. And thus, scorned by our pilgrims, by ends, joins three other religious fakers and gospel cheats with whom he attended the same school and received the same training in self-serving ways from Mr. Greipman. Uh, This, in the archaic definition that Bunyan is using, means to clutch or grasp or seize. Their names were Mr. Hold the World, Mr. Money Love, and Mr. Save All. Amongst them, They pose a moral question concerning whether a minister or a tradesman can rightfully take worldly advantage of a situation brought to him as a result of his position. 
a situation that would require bending the truth, rationalizing, overlooking all for worldly material gain. As you may have guessed, Baez and his three comrades agree that, yes, he could and should. Now, Money Love expresses it this way. I conclude, then, that a minister that changes a small for a great should not, for so doing be judged as covetous, but rather since he has improved in his parts and industry, thereby be counted as one that pursues his call and the opportunity put into his hands to do good. They go on to answer the question for the tradesman, which in this case is whether or not becoming religious merely for worldly gain is acceptable. And once again they approve, saying, therefore to become religious, to get all these, is a good and profitable design. Now they catch up with Christian and Hopeful and put the question to them. Of course, in the end, Christian strongly and soundly refutes these answers and warns them that they will face a greater rebuke in the coming judgment. Once again, our pilgrims stand for the truth, using the sword of truth to turn these fakers and gospel cheats speechless, and in the process, reminding them that it is God Almighty and He alone who is the judge of all, and that He is a consuming fire, a jealous God, from Hebrews 12.23 and Deuteronomy 4.24. Amen. Now you may have gathered during your reading of this chapter, confronting worldly attachments, that by ends and his trio of friends represent the worst, most reprehensible form of preaching within today's church. Now let's take a closer look at our main character in this chapter, Mr. By ends. The name By ends means that he will seek his wants and desires by whatever means necessary, believing that the ends always justify the means. He is a man without a gospel-based moral compass. At best, he is amongst those that James speaks of in 1.8, a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. He is a gospel cheat, a pretender, but worse than that because he uses religion for worldly gain by deceiving others. He did not enter through the small gate, nor did he pass through the valley of humiliation or the shadow of death. He's good with God only as long as it's at the top of the mountain when the sun is shining. He uses religion for personal gains and social profit. He represents the ugliness of prosperity preaching. He wanders onto the way after our pilgrims escape from vanity, and he attempts to convince Christian and hopeful that he would be a fine traveling companion. Baez is from the town of fair speech, which represent those whose lives are wrapped up in political correctness, hypocrisy, and deceitfulness. And these three attributes identify how they deal with each other and others. The town has an impressively elegant facade, but the facade is supported by crumbling and decaying morality. The surface looks good, but the foundation is sinking sand. Baez knows almost everyone there. Lord Turnabout, for him, steadfastness does not exist. 
Lord Timesaver. His direction is dictated on the sign of the times. Then there's Mr. Fair Speech, nice to your face, deceitful behind your back. Mr. Smooth Man says whatever you want to hear. Mr. Facing Both Ways, he wants to agree with everyone. Then there's Mr. Anything, whatever it takes. And Pastor Two Tongues, a deceitful, false teacher who clouds the truth. Now, Byens readily admits to Christian that he and his wife disagree with the more strict of religious teachings, but only on two small points. They don't strive against the tide. That is, wherever the wind is blowing is where they're heading. They go with the crowd, always join the majority, irrespective of principle and truth. And number two, they're in it for the good times. When they're on the top of the mountain and the sun is shining, but deep down in the valley of trials and tribulations is definitely not for them. Now we learn that the smattering of conscience that he has left causes Bayens to be ashamed of his name, so much so that when he's asked, he won't give it. But Christian recognizes him and thus confronts him with it. But Bayens says it's a nickname given to him by those who loathe him and his beliefs. Christian submits to him that it was his actions that earned him the name. Now, Bayens believes a religion is good only when it is, in a worldly way, advantageous to him. And while he attends church regularly, he does so only if it's looked upon favorably by others and his personal cost is low. Religion for him is malleable, morphing into whatever he needs. He is the reason for the words bogus, false, fake, and fraudulent. He is a hypocrite of the highest order. He sounds good, but it's all about his own personal gain. He doesn't care about loving God. Christ is just a tool for his self-advancement and gain. He is a miserable, despicable, warped man who hates the necessities of real faith, who hates the thought of submitting to our Lord. Indeed, he hates anything that assumes any power other than himself. The living word of God contains numerous warnings for people such as Bayens. From Proverbs 26, 24 to 26, He who hates disguises it with his lips and lays upon deceit within himself. When he speaks kindly, do not believe him, for there are seven abominations in his heart. Though his hatred is covered by deceit, his wickedness will be revealed before the assembly. And Psalm 12, 2, 3, They speak idly, every one with his neighbor. With flattering lips and a double heart they speak. May the Lord cut off all flattering lips and the tongue that speaks proud things. Now notice that throughout this chapter, Bunyan keeps his focus on by-ends, surely indicating that this type of gospel cheat was active in Bunyan's day, 
And with more than assurance, we can say the same is true, loved ones, for our current times. Bayan's opinion of Christian and hopeful is low. He doesn't accept them as brothers. He's insulted that they would not accept his reasonable way of thinking. In his mind, they, Christian and hopeful, are radical, rigid, and self-righteous, and that they are, in fact, unbiblical. So while he thinks of Christian and hopeful as radical fools, he thinks of himself as well-balanced and in tune with it all. And unsurprisingly, his three friends all agree with his assessment. He and his friends actually believe they are on the same pilgrimage to the city as Christian and hopeful are, even though they are of this world. And as such, he and his friends have deluded themselves. He justifies his views by worldly standards, and his faith is of himself, as is his righteousness, not knowing and certainly not caring that the only righteousness that matters is that which is imputed to us by Christ. He has chosen the world over God, money over righteousness, power over principle. He and his friends are justifiers and rationalizers. And while he does refer to Scripture, it is inevitably out of context. He seems to believe whatever is expedient, whatever brings him to his worldly goal at that moment. And he's offended that neither Christian nor hopeful will accept him and his beliefs. Here's a question. How could a worldly person such as Bayens read the Bible without being offended? But the living word of God contradicts his beliefs. Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Whoever therefore wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. James 4.4 4. Now let's look at the complaints that Bayens has against Christian and faithful. He believes that they are rigid in their thinking, unwilling to even consider contrary beliefs, unwilling to consider beliefs contrary to Scripture. If that's rigid, then count us guilty. He believes that they are radical and inconsiderate of others' beliefs. Yes, we are that they do not accept as brothers those who value the world over God. No, we do not. That they are uncompromising in their reading of the word. Yes, we only buy the truth, loved ones, the living word of God and every iota of it. Listen, Christian wants by ends to count the cost of his misbeliefs. The true cost of following the Lord assumes trials and tribulations. It assumes that you pick up your own cross and follow him. It assumes you will own your own sin. And it assumes that you will be doers of the word and not merely hearers. These concepts offend by ends. And thus, you, as Christian and hopeful did, must walk away. Proverbs 14.7 Walk away from the company of fools, for you cannot find insight in their words. 2 Peter 1.20 Knowing this first, that no prophecy of Scripture is of any private interpretation. 
There is no middle ground, loved ones. There is only one way. But on that one-way road, we are free in Christ, a concept that could not possibly be understood by the likes of by-ends of this world. In the end, by-ends believes himself to be both sensible and even-handed. He will not abide by the word in all kinds of weather. That is, his faith diminishes as the storms of life arise. He will never give it all to God. And when called upon to make a stand for the truth, he will instead choose safety. As he describes it, he would have nothing to do with rags, which are his sin, or contempt. No, his walk is in golden slippers, in the sunshine, and with applause. Here's the truth. You cannot save your life by idolizing money or other worldly possessions or by serving yourself in this world instead of serving the living God. Give it all to the Lord, loved ones, while there's still time. Timothy 6.10 For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil for which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. Matthew 6.24, no one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Now let's meet the friends of Bayans. They are Mr. Hold the World, an outspoken mouthpiece for man's own achievement and his sensual pleasure in this world. And then there's Mr. Money Love, a man who specializes in all sorts of schemes and scams and a boaster of his own success as a self-made man. And there's Mr. Save All, miserly to the end in both spirit and means. Bunyan writes, Now I saw in my dream that Christian and Hopeful moved ahead of by-ends so as to be separate from him. But one of them looked back and noticed three men following after by ends. So they caught up with him, and he, having made a very low bow toward them, received a friendly welcome in return. Now, as you'll remember, the names of these men were Mr. Hold the World, Mr. Money Love, and Mr. Save All, men that Mr. By Ends had formerly been acquainted with, for in their youth, they were all school chums and had been taught by their schoolmaster, Mr. Greipman, in Lovegain, a market town in Coveting County in the north. This schoolmaster taught them the art of acquisition, either by means of violence or cheating or flattery or lying or using the masquerade of religion. And all four of these gentlemen attained such a high degree of the skill of their master that any of them could themselves have maintained a similar school. Now, all of these men regularly attend church, and they value it, but for all the wrong reasons. They use it to conspire and make connections. In other words, they twist and manipulate religion in the pursuit of gain. Now, as his friends approach, Bayens tells them of his encounter with Christian and Hopeful, and they ask why they aren't traveling together. He tells them of his conversation with them, and thus making sure 
that his friends know just how rigid these two pilgrims were in their discussions. And they all agree that no further words are needed. Quote, for he that believes neither scripture nor reason. And they say amongst themselves, you know, we have both on our side. Neither knows his own liberty nor seeks his own safety. Notice that in the telling of the encounter with Christian and Hopeful, Bayens inflates his own participation, putting forth the notion that his is the voice of reason. Hold the world appeals to the natural world and good old common sense. He makes comparisons using sunshine and rain, winter and harvest, and serpents and bees. Bayens and his friends are convinced that their ideas are sound and that Christians and hopefuls are rigid and unloving for not taking them as they are. So tightly these men hold on to the world, but Scripture tells us that it cannot be so, that we cannot follow our Lord with one foot in the world. Now from James 4.4, Adulterers and adulteresses, Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Whoever, therefore, wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. And we cannot love money and God. We cannot serve Jesus while idolizing worldly things. From Matthew 6.24, No one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot love God and mammon. And no matter how hard we try, no matter the means of our own self-righteousness, we cannot bring ourselves to salvation. He alone is the way, the truth, and the life. Now from Matthew 16, 24 to 26, Then Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and loses his soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? Bayens and his three friends live in a fantasy world, loved ones, a world that does not exist in God's living word. They worship themselves and worldly possessions, not Christ. And in the process, they bring neither glory nor honor to God. And now we come to the question proposed by Bayens and put to his three companions. Suppose a man, a minister, or a tradesman, or such should have an opportunity to get a blessing and improve his station in life by becoming extremely zealous in some point of religion. Let's suppose that this religious point is something about which he has no particular interest, but by appearing to be interested, he can gain an advantage, either financial or otherwise. The question I put to you is this. Can he pretend to be interested and remain an upstanding and honest man? In other words, is it ethical for a minister or tradesman to use religion for personal gain? Herein, Bunyan exposes man's predisposition 
to justify sin as he brings to the fore the unrestrained hypocrisy of these men, who all believe they are pilgrims seeking Christ's kingdom. But the reality, of course, is that they're only interested in the pursuit of personal gain without guilt. Their real goal is riches, and they believe they can, without retribution, use religion to their advantage. Money love has no problem and rationalizes that it can't be sinful to want more income, and since this opportunity came under the watchful eyes of God, that his pursuit thereof must be right. After all, it would make it possible for him to study more and therefore become better educated in the Word and become a better pastor. And besides, moving to a larger church must be a sign of success, and this, along with his pay increase, would never be seen as covetous, would it? Really? Well, they all agree and are anxious to put the question to Christian and hopeful. And so they catch up with them, and Mr. Hold the World does just that. Then said Christian, after being posed the question, answers, even a babe in religion may answer 10,000 such questions. For if it be unlawful to follow Christ for loaves, as it is in the 6th of John, how much more abominable is it to make of him in religion a stalking horse to get and enjoy the world? Nor do we find any other than heathens, hypocrites, and devils, and witches that are of this opinion." Christian continues his rebuke using God's word most effectively to shine light upon their evil thinking. And the ending went like this. And then they stood staring one upon another, but had not wherewith to answer Christian. Hopeful also approved of the soundness of Christian's answer. So there was a great silence amongst them. Mr. Byens and his company also staggered and kept behind, that Christian and hopeful might outgo them. And then said Christian to his fellow, If these men cannot stand before the sentence of men, what will they do with the sentence of God? And if they are mute when dealt with by vessels of clay, what will they do when they shall be rebuked by the flames of a devouring fire? Pray with me, loved ones. O Father God, may we seek the truth of your word daily, that we may never succumb to the wickedness as seen in this chapter. May we always, no matter the cost, keep the faith, stand for truth, and exhort others to do the same. In Jesus' name, amen. In our next episode, we'll discuss chapter 9, Refreshment at God's River. Until then, loved ones, may the Comforter be with you always to guide you in the way that leads to the city. 